So father's right up to the, the manager. Do you guys have clean comedians in here? I would love, I'd love to bring a church group down. And they're oh. kind of hemming and hawing. And he's like, yeah, no, you need to get clean comedians in. Welcome to the Pints and Pews podcast. I'm your co-host, Dennis. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And we're just a couple of guys talking the Catholic faith over a pint or two of our favorite beers. So why don't you pour yourself a pint, pull up a chair, and listen in for the next little while. As we take the faith seriously, but not necessarily ourselves. And as always, if you want to take part in the conversation or have an idea for the podcast, leave us a comment or swing by our Facebook page and drop us a message. Dennis, buddy, I have to say you're looking way better than you did on Zoom at 7 o'clock this morning, pal. We, we've seen a lot of each other today, haven't we? We've, we've Zoomed together. We had lunch together, which we rarely do. Um, I just got back from vacation. You had a vacation early part. So we're, we're finally catching up and hopefully going to do this on a regular basis, Robert, going oh, forward. God willing, God willing. Yes. Yeah, so uh, you were away on your seniors cruise. <laughs> I got my Viking. Where's my Viking logo here? Your Viking seniors logo. cruise. Oh, I loved it. The, we were the youngest couple on the cruise. Well, if you don't include <laughs> children of older parents, but yeah, we were probably the youngest couple there. It was great. It's mostly American. Few Brits, few Canadians, one Aussie couple. It's fantastic. Made a lot of great people. The food was amazing. Europe was great. You know that, Robert. How? Yeah, no, much, I just you know, needed to ask culture you. And knowing you and your coupons, did you get a cheaper rate because you didn't have to have the assisted living package on the cruise or what? <laughs> I did not have the assisted living package on the cruise. No cheaper rates. I wish there were cheaper rates. But uh, no, absolutely fantastic. And one little faux pas, because we all know you do the Duolingo with your French because you're trying to learn our our second, or I don't want want to say our second national language, our other national language in French, uh, but no German. So you had a little bit of a hiccup with uh, your German there when you were making a purchase. I did. I did. I purchased some, about eight beers in it, and I wanted to get the best of Weltenberg Abbey and the best of the Bischofshof in uh, Regensburg, where... Yeah, where we purchased the beers, and I picked eight excellent beers. I had about four or five there. I took home two in the suitcase, but unfortunately, one of them I took home in the suitcase. You never went over your German. You have a smattering of German. Well, I never, on the I never realized that you would need to know the expression alcoholfrei. Yeah, means it was, that it's uh, you know without alcohol there, buddy. Can you, can you at least tell our listeners it was in script? So without glasses, which I do, my cheaters, I couldn't read it, nor could I read the point five below. So that will go to some unsuspecting company that I'm sure will drop by in the next so day or two. Anyone months, stopping by Dennis's house in the next couple of days, uh, you know, be forewarned. So. Mm-hmm. But, buddy, we're having a couple of good laughs here today, and I've got a feeling we're going to be laughing through the whole episode. Absolutely. A couple of other great guests you lined up, and our favorite topic, the thing we think we are, but we're not really, but you're going to introduce our two guests in a few minutes, right? Yeah, so along the lines of uh, what we say at the beginning of each episode, that we're, you know, taking the Catholic faith seriously, but not necessarily ourselves, we have with us today uh, the co-founders of Catholic laughter, right? You know, clean Catholic comedy. And so I wanted to introduce for our listeners here, Dennis, Carl uh, Kozlowski, who is a Catholic comedian, journalist, and humor writer who has performed in some of the best clubs across the nation. 
I guess when we're saying that it's across the United States, because right. we, yeah. uh, we've already been picked on for our accents here. Um, <laughs> right. So you know, Carl has performed in some of the best clubs across America, including the Laugh Factory and the Comedy Store. And he is the co-founder of Catholic Laughter and has long practiced the art of clean comedy. His humorous essay collection, Dozed and Confused, Tales from a Nutty Narcoleptic Life, I can attest to is both clean and very funny. Thank you. Now, the other co-founder of Catholic Laughter is also here with us today, Dennis. Scott Vinci performs his comedy and has been described as both clean and observational with a zany guitar comedy style. From his personal life to his song parodies, Scott gives his abnormal take on all things normal. So I'm really afraid of what he's going to have to say about us here Mm. this evening. In trouble. So the other co-founder of Catholic Laughter, he's now residing in Los Angeles, and some of his past shows have included The Improv, The Comedy Store, The Laugh Factory, and The Ice House. And so we've mentioned already uh, their project here, Catholic Laughter, which produces clean stand-up comedy shows with a Catholic twist for Catholic parishes, colleges, and events nationwide, and we're hoping one day up here to Canada. They are the leading Catholic comedy producers across the United States and are proud to offer headline comics who have been on the best late-night shows, including, get this, Dennis, Stephen Colbert, David Letterman, Conan O'Brien, and many more. Officially endorsed by the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, they can now add the Pints and Pews podcast to their list of prestigious shows that they've appeared on. <laughs> Gentlemen, welcome to the Pints and Pews podcast. Thank you. Welcome, Scott me. and Carl. Good to have you on. Yeah. And, and, and Carl, if you do fall asleep on our podcast, that's not a problem. <laughs> my, my mother-in-law falls asleep regularly, and I, I, I'm not lying about that. Regularly, she falls asleep. She starts, and then she dozes off. So not a problem at all. No, yeah. I managed to kick it. It's crazy, but I did. <laughs> Whenever I start talking, my girlfriend falls asleep. So I have that. <laughs> so either we're going to have some great laughs tonight or we're going to be putting the nation to bed. One or the <laughs> one of the two. Both, both nations to bed. <laughs> two nations. Under God. Okay. Under God. <laughs> exactly. And there's no place better to be than under God, right? Now, thinking about God and the the beauty of his creation need to ask gentlemen, what have you brought to drink with us here on the pints and pews this evening? Well, I'm double fisting a Molson's and a Labatt's of course. (laughs) (laughs) Not the stereotype, uh, the Canadian beers at all. That goes to civil war in there. Like either you drink one or you drink the other. I really don't know many guys that drink both. Right. I just want to appeal to both sides of the nation. Yes, so. good, good. Two two traditional beers, that's for sure. The, the, the dichotomy of Carl. Um, <laughs> I'm drinking a Corona X or a Corona Light. Sorry, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, got a little bit of. Um, feels a little tropical to me. That's yeah. why I like. You know, I got a few Coronas it. in my fridge, Scott. That's a good choice. Now, down yeah. in the the land of palm trees, down in Southern California, yeah. you got to go for something that's that's light and refreshing. Yeah. 
And so, Dennis, are you cracking open your alcohol-free Bischoff? I am. No, I'm not cracking that. That's going back in the fridge. What do you got to tonight? While I, so uh, I'm going to need a little bit of help from uh, my Irish friend here. I have from the Innocent <laughs> Brewing Company, the Innocent. Is am I getting that right there, Dennis? Schlanta, Schlant, Schlanta. Yeah, yeah. So, Irish red ale. Where is that from? So that's uh, uh, the, the Innocent Brewing Company is out of Waterloo. Not too far, about an hour and a half west of uh, Toronto. Okay, yeah, we've been there many times. And what did mine you get, my friend? Mine is all the way from Austria, from the Weltenberg Abbey, Cloister, Kellabia, which means cellar beer, unfiltered, unpasteurized, very yeasty, malty lager from central Bavaria. Wow. So that's I'm, cool. I'm expecting really big things from this beer. I'm going to show you that. Yeah, well, and normally it would be served in a really big uh, glass, yeah, and you've only yeah. got, got, only got point. Point, I've only got a point five uh, going here. So that, that looks like that. nice and Can you see all that? See how dirty that is? That's very, yeah. it's not filtered at all. So that'll be nice. Who knows? Who, it could be the official beer of Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> ah! You never know. Ah! I should have checked that. It'd probably have his face on it, I guess, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, he, he's got an interesting documentary on Netflix. It's like a three-parter, by the way, I, if you're looking I for heard something. that, Scott. It just came out here, and actually, it was just uh, advertised not a, a few days ago. I have to, I'll have to check that out for sure. So you've yeah. been making the Muscle Man tour then there, Dennis, because back at Christmas, you were in Brussels, the home of Jean-Claude Van Damme, the Muscles That's from right. Brussels. <laughs> and then now you were, you know, out with Arnie I'm, I'm in Oostenrijk. I'm, I'm a world traveler, aren't I? Jeez. So you're going to go look up the Italian stallion soon there with <laughs> Sylvester Stallone or what? Yeah, I'd, li- I'd like to do Italy, actually. Robert. But let's say a prayer so we can drink. Robert? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of oh, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Bless, O Lord, this creature beer, which thou hast deigned to produce from the fat of grain, that it may be a salutary remedy to the human race and grant through the invocation of thy holy name that whoever shall drink it may gain health in body and peace in soul. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hey, email that to me, me, because I'd like to memorize it and say it every time I go in a bar. That won't annoy anyone, right? That'll be the perfect uh, hit in the bar, for sure. Guys are ready to go and take their first sip. No, no, wait, we got to pray first. And that just (laughs) throws everybody off. I know you do parishes and churches. Is is there any? Are there? Is there alcohol served at that time? Because that would be a great way to introduce that prayer to some of those parishes you guys hit. Yeah, no, there, there's uh, most parishes do uh, sell wine or beer or whatever uh, because it's a great extra you know way to make some yeah, money. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and you can say this one in the church, or we've at when we have clergy on the show, we get them to say it. But that prayer actually comes from the Catholic Book of Blessings. Really? Yeah, it's a yeah. true. So that's an official Catholic yeah. church prayer. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wild, I know. Yeah. When you well, first the, brought it out. It's yeah. very Catholic, you can tell, when it comes to drinking. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you definitely know that uh, Catholics are the ones who would know a prayer for drinking, that's for sure. Probably an Irish Catholic that figured out, or maybe Polish Catholic, eh? Carl and uh, Scott, this is where we get out of the way and we kind of step back a little bit and we just ask you to maybe touch upon your faith stories and how you came into this whole clean comedy. 
Okay. Do you want me to go first or you go first? Well, we, we can flip a coin, but if we're okay. using it, oh. if we're going to okay. use, uh, now up here, we would flip a dollar coin. I don't know if you can flip a dollar bill down where you are. <laughs> right. If I had any. Yeah. <laughs> but our, our, our dollar coin would be worth like three of your quarters anyways. So yeah. you know, there we go. But no, whoever wants to go first, if you want All to right. tell each other's story, go yeah. right ahead. That could be more fun. <laughs> No, um, no, I grew up in a very devout uh, Catholic home because my dad was from Poland, where the Catholic Church is pretty much the only game in town uh, for religion. And he had actually been so uh, drawn by the faith that he was in a seminary for six months at one point before deciding that his calling was to get married and have a family instead. And he's so devout that my mom has always kept joking that you should have just stayed in the seminary. <laughs> so, you know, so I had like, uh, 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 really had it ingrained to me how to look at the world and culture and life from a Catholic perspective. And, uh, I think that's something that really helped me to, uh, uh, start this business with Scott, you know, because, uh, we, we definitely, especially me as the MC and Scott does a lot of Catholic humor also, uh, you know, we were able to see in an appropriate way, of course, the things that are uh, fun to poke a little fun at mm-hmm. uh, from the Catholic experience. And also, you know, it always made us want to be clean because we wanted to uphold our moral you know, standards that we were raised with. Now, was this in Chicago, um, Carl? Um, I lived in Chicago for like four years as a little kid, but I grew up in Arkansas um, mm-hmm. from age eight. My dad moved down here with us, and uh, uh, but yeah, and I lived in Chicago in the '90s. That's how I met Scott. We were okay. both comics out there, so yeah. So growing up in Arkansas, there wouldn't have been a large Catholic population. You would have probably been like I would imagine it would have been very Catholic. Would have been the minority, correct? Eh, maybe, but I mean, you know, we live like five minutes away from a, a giant church where there's like easily a thousand or two thousand members across. Oh the wow. Yeah, so I mean, it's not as uh, desolate, you know, as you might think. It's not a wasteland of non-Catholicism. Yeah. So yeah. And then, how did I mean? You're, you're talking about as far as how your dad's Catholic faith helped form your worldview. You know, how did that play out growing up then? Well, I mean, I guess uh, as far as you know, with wanting to do comedy and the arts, so I was always into that stuff. And um, one thing that I, that I should say I just thought of was it wasn't just that he would teach us, you know, to try and, you know, be careful what we're watching, you know, and look for the good, uh, like as the uh, phrase goes in some Catholic uh, folks mentioned truth, beauty, goodness. Um, it wasn't just that, but he also, he and my mom would uh, take us to some really uh, unusual films, like things that were smarter than what you might expect for a little kid to go see. So we got to see some pretty invented movies. Like I saw the Monty Python spoof uh, or spinoff uh, time bandits when I was like 10 years old. And uh, that was PG, but it was Monty Python, very unique mm-hmm. and original. And we saw other movies like the elephant man and uh, very classic uh, high, high class movies that uh, he thought had something to say about uh, life or else were so, uh, smart in their intelligence on the humor in time bandits that he he knew I was already hooked on trying to be funny and loving these loving comedy that he tried to show me like here's the here's the best standards you know mm-hmm. 
And that kind of makes one stand out on the schoolyard too, when you're you know, being raised a little bit outside of the, the box kind of thing. And I have to admit, I found your chapter on kind of growing up Catholic and dozed and confused to, to be actually quite humorous. And a number of things kind of paralleled my own growing up. And there was one story in there actually that reminded me of my son growing up. So you shared a story in there as an altar server. You almost set the church on fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I was uh, having to uh, strike a match to light up the candle to go light the big candles on, uh, like the uh, candle on a wand or big stick, you know, to go light the candles on the altar. And I burned my hand or my finger and I dropped the, the uh, match into the trash can below me. And the trash can was filled with paper and dead flowers and it just shot up like straight immediate fire. And I'll never forget our uh, sweet old father, Peter came running and, and I think he might have said something slightly non-appropriate <laughs> because he was so scared. But it, um, yeah, I wasn't allowed to light candles after that ever. And then he wasn't using words he learned in the seminary then is, is what you're saying. <laughs> oh, and they kind of echoed too. So everybody was like in shock. You know, this was our, thankfully it was our Catholic school mess, you know, where they sent a couple classes each weekday, different classes to go. And so it was only heard by the kids, but boy, they were giggling about it for a while. It is more in Latin. And that just reminded me of the one time with my own son. Uh, it was actually Christmas Eve Mass, and I was reading. So I'm in the sacristy preparing my my readings for Christmas Eve Mass. He was an altar server. He was maybe 10 years old at the time, and he was sent out to light the candles as well. The thing is, is at the beginning of Advent, someone had the, the great idea to put up all of this greenery around the altar and around the tabernacle, <laughs> and it was just a little too close to the candles. I'm back there preparing my readings and my son comes back in the sacristy and his eyes were the size of saucers. It's like, buddy, what's going on? He's like, I just about lit the church on fire. And my wife, who was sitting in the front pew there, said, yeah, like all of a sudden this greenery just shot up and he's trying to put it out. And oh my. I don't think anyone noticed, but yeah, it's just kind of reading these these childhood stories, right? That's uh, We can look at our faith, take it seriously, but yeah. Kind of have a, a little chuckle along the way. And what yeah. about yourself, uh, Scott? Um, your faith story? I basically grew up uh, Catholic, too. And uh, my mom was pretty Catholic. Like, she <laughs> she would go to the Bible studies and stuff. And my dad was a Catholic, too. But um, he, he wouldn't go. We had to go to church every Sunday. And he, he would go sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but sometimes that was a lot because he was working or whatever. But, um, and I went to Catholic high school and, uh, you know, over the years I've just, uh, kept the faith, uh, and, you know, um, both my parents are gone now. So I think, uh, that has something to do with it too. Uh, I like to remain, you know, spiritual and, and go to church and, you know, and I think they, it's almost I do it for myself, obviously, but I think it also part of them is part of me. So I I like to keep in touch with those Catholic roots, I guess you could say. So let me ask you both. Was it always clean comedy or did you kind of stray a little bit as you're going through, you know, late teenage, early 20s and decide, you know what, I want to appeal to a wider audience. I want to appeal to an audience that can take their kids to listen to our stuff. Scott and then maybe Carl. I've, I've always been pretty clean with my comedy. There's some... I used to do some stuff that was innuendos and, 
and I've cursed before in um, mm-hmm. my sets, but I've stopped that totally because uh, that I felt like that was more of a younger thing. I was like trying to, you know, you're you're finding yourself when you're early in your comedy, and you're 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 you know, you think you're cool and hip by saying these words or or being edgy, mm-hmm. and and then it's just like that's not really me, you know. So I I I've always been kind of a more cleaner guy when it comes to like comedy i i feel like it's harder to make people laugh being clean than it is being dirty but like even the stories or or the bits i have they just i i just not a good honestly i don't think i'm just i'm not a good dirty joke writer you know i mean i can do it's just easier for me to write something clean it's more fun i think for me but also i heard someone say on a on another podcast actually you listen to another podcast. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's back. Let's. This interview is now over. Like, see. Wow. Uh, actually, it was in passing. Okay. 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 Well, we'll let it slide then. We'll let it go. It wasn't on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a comedian was in an elevator with a man, a big time Hollywood manager, and the manager goes, "Hey, I've heard your stuff, and it's good." He goes, "But I just want you to know that uh, clean comedians they work more and they get paid more." And they're easier to put on like TV shows and stuff like that, you know, and you, you, there's a lot of comedians that aren't, you know, super dirty or, or super clean, but they're still on, you know, TV and stuff. So, um, but I just, I thought, oh, that's, that's a little interesting, you know? So, you know, and I remember one time way, way back, uh, going out with my wife and another couple to a yuck yucks comedy and, you could tell this one guy, he was starting to flounder. Like he was, he was st- kind of start to, to lose the, the room. And as he was noticing that, he would just then stop and drop an F-bomb and everyone would laugh and then he would just keep going. It was like that, that was his go-to to make laughs and it was completely out of context. And it's like, yeah, no, that really didn't sit well with me at that time. I'm thinking like, that's, it's just not funny. And then... About a month or so ago, I was out with a friend, Catholic priest, Father Marion, who Dennis knows, and we went out for dinner in this restaurant, and they'd run a yuck yucks there once a week as well. And so Father's right up to the the manager. Do you guys have clean comedians in here? I would lo- I'd love to bring a church group down. And they're kind of hemming and hawing, and he's like, yeah, no, you need to get clean comedians in. And I can see it being maybe more difficult because you don't have that base thing to, to go to, but it's more cerebral and it's, uh, I, I find it more interesting. We have a lot of comedians on our bill. Um, and Carl and I are probably the most Catholic. Some uh, either grew up Catholic, some maybe not Catholic at all, but mm-hmm. the, the definite criteria is they have to be clean mm-hmm. because, you know, if we can't do a show for any Catholic <laughs> venue church fundraiser if it's not going to be clean and you know we don't say oh we want children to go to our shows but we say about like 18 or up maybe even 16 17 at the lowest because even you wouldn't you know you wouldn't get the humor if you're younger even if it's clean do you know what i mean so it's like oh yeah and i Scott, I think that that's great that the prerequisite is that it's clean and that you don't have to be Catholic. You know, any sort of faith or agnostic can do it. It's just as long as it's clean. So I, I think that's great. That invites a lot of different types of comedians in there. Carl, just jumping to you quickly, did you always start clean or did you kind of get clean later on type thing? 
Oh, I just wanted to add one thing. Um, all our comics, though, are, are Christian of one, one oh, okay. uh, sort or another. So um, that's always you know, because that's, a correct that's important because yeah. you can trust the cleanliness even more. And they have a general idea, you know, or they or they poke a little fun at themselves and say, I never got why Catholics do this. Or, right. you know, I went to a Catholic church and this happened, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, it works well with that. But as far as me, um, I uh, yeah, I mean. I when I was young, like very young, uh, like in the in the nineties, uh, starting out at um, uh, open mics in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, here and there, you know, I would I would uh, swear. But the thing was, I, I caught on uh, to a lot of things that Scott was saying that you know it wasn't really me, and I also was <laughs> actually living in fear of the fact that we had we had lived several years in Chicago long before. And I, and my dad sometimes would say, "Hey, you know, my friends want to come see you." And so I was always living in fear that one of them would be in the crowd somewhere and you know rattle me to my dad that I was that I <laughs> said some dirty things. So I I just went clean all the way from the clean. start. You know, not, not, nothing like having one of your dad's friends with your dad on speakerphone out in the out in the crowd, <laughs> right? To Listen to your son. Fear gun. Yeah. You know what? It's funny you say that, Carl, because one of the reasons, like I would write. It's like I wanted to perform in front of my parents and I didn't want them to feel uncomfortable. So I would write yeah. like, what would they be okay with? You know, kind of a, so that there, there yeah. were, they were very important to me. So yeah, I could understand. Yeah, that's great. Now, Scott, yeah. I, I just want to come, come back a little bit here. So, so you spent like born and raised in Chicago area. I was born in Joliet, uh, like the Blues Brothers. Okay, okay. of course. Okay. I was just kind of where, where? Yeah, yeah no, I was born in Joliet, but uh, and I was a kid. We moved to Texas when I was about in first grade. So after um, I got finished high school, I went to college, and then I after college I went straight up to Chicago because I wanted to do the second city. But all my relatives, I had a lot of relatives in Chicago. My aunt Ginger. Uh, she was a very devout Catholic. She had, we, we had a church. I even have a joke about her in the set, but, um, she has a church. She had a church on the corner that we just walked to, to go to church on Sunday. Um, but, um, so after college, I, I took classes at second city and I started doing, I, I did a little bit of stand up in Texas after college. I, I took a class. I forget the guy's name, Sam something, but this was years ago. He might not even be around anymore. Super good guy. Super nice guy. I got my first set, and then when I went to Chicago, I, I used part of that, and then I kept writing, and and uh, so I, I would perform at Second City with improv, and then I would also do stand up, or I'd be with a troupe, or I do stand up. I just I just had to involve and dive deep into comedy because I was like, this is now, let's do this. So that's what I did. Yeah, and, and I, I I would just was just wanting to ask you because you guys were bugging Dennis and I when you you came into the the Zoom meeting here a little bit earlier uh, as far as yeah, you really pick up the Canadian accent. And uh, I was noticing a little bit of a Midwest from you and you, you mentioned your aunt Ginger uh, and this little bit that you, you have. Uh, are you okay if I play with, play that yeah, uh, yeah, for our listeners for here? So sure. let's just see. Uh, this is all new. First time ever on the Pines and Pews podcast. We can see if we can get this, uh, this audio bit to upload. If not, uh, we'll do some editing magic later. 
So I had a name, Ginger, from uh, Chicago. Her name was Ginger Raza from Chicago, and she had a very thick Chicago accent. We'd be walking in her neighborhood. Her church was right around the corner. And she goes, oh, look, there's Bob. Bob's a Catholic. I'm like, what? Yeah, that's Bob. He goes to my church. He's a Catholic. I was like, oh. The way she said Catholic, it sounded less like a religion and more like an affliction. <laughs> oh, look, there's Martha. Martha's a Catholic. Really? When was she diagnosed? <laughs> I hope there's a prescription for that. I was going to say the way Catholic was coming out in there, it sounds more like a, a surgical procedure that you, you know, you're you going to have for uh, a, a tube inserted somewhere than, uh, than, than a religion there. Yeah. <laughs> but Scott, when you touch upon Second City, of course, up here in Toronto, we, we love our Second City. Right after Chicago, Toronto's one of the bigger clubs. A lot of the big stars got their start there. But you touched upon improv, and I think you started with that, Carl, but... And then you came just directly to stand-up. I find improv just incredibly, I know stand-up's hard and you you have to have a rehearsed set, but improv just seems so difficult. Like it just seems people are throwing stuff at you and you're just kind of got to roll with it. Is there, was that a good, for both of you, was that a good base as you went into stand-up full-time or? Um, well, well, I mean, for me, I, I went to Second City. It was my dream to go there because I, wanted to see if I could ever audition for Saturday Night Live and all that. And that was the number one place that seemed to be, you know, getting people into the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I get there and I found that uh, improv and stand-up are two different sides of the same coin in comedy where in improv you have to be able to roll with what everybody else is saying and add to it. And, and so I wasn't, I got too nervous it wasn't good at, I was constantly thinking, what are they going to say? What are they going to think of me okay. saying this? And so I, so I made it through the program. I always was lucky that when they had weed out auditions, like three of them over the course of the year and a half program, somehow there was a miracle happened and I, and I managed to have a fantastic audition, but I was in my head way too much otherwise. So I was about to quit and come home even after just like two months in Chicago. And somebody said, why don't you try stand up? Hmm. And I had uh, done stand-up twice in contests in college and won my sophomore year. And um, and so I thought, sure, I'll try it. And I got one big laugh off of one pretty girl. And uh, and, and, I, and that, like, boosted me up to sticking around, you know, for probably another five or six months before I got consistent, you know, decent laughs. But I, I clung to that, you know. I made her laugh. It's going to happen. You know? Yeah, I can do it. You can make one laugh. You can make a whole bunch laugh. Yeah. And what about yourself, Scott? Did you find that that was a good jumping off position? The good thing about improv is when you're up there with stand-up, if something goes awry or you got to change directions, you're used to improv where people throw something at you and you got to figure it out. And so that helped. And then I noticed, like, when I was doing improv, I noticed stand-ups who did improv – they tell you not to go for the joke or the punchline in improv. It'll just come out. But mm -hmm. sometimes things fail, the scene fails, and you're in there with a couple of people. And you can tell who the stand-ups were and who the stand-ups weren't because the stand-ups would know, like, they would kind of save the day if a scene was tanking because they knew the punchline. They knew how to deliver a joke. They knew, uh, if you know, Interesting. if they had to. Uh, but, you know, improv is such a collaborative thing. You don't want to. You know, you're not trying to steal the scene. You're not trying to tell the joke. The jokes come out of the 
almost the honesty of the scene and the earnestness of it, I guess. I think for me, they both kind of fed off each other. They helped each other. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Because it worked I out later yeah. for me too, uh, that, that, that where I thought I wasn't doing well with it. Um, improv helped me in many other things. Um, like, uh, when I started as a journalist, um, I did a lot of funny journalism. It was pretty unique, uh, where I would go and like actually do a story. Like I'd dress up as Santa for a weekend, get two friends to dress like elves and we'd run around Chicago doing 12 sort of naughty things in a weekend. And right. And then I'd write a cover story about it or, uh, being in an, uh, in a inflatable dinosaur suit for Kraft macaroni and cheese, hawking it, you know, for four days and all the crazy things that happened. And I definitely was constantly thinking, how do I make each moment interaction with people funnier each of those times I was doing that? And both those stories are in the book, by the way. Uh, but I mean, it, it, I think improv rubbed off on me later, like more in being able to think on the fly in life, you know? Actually, Carl, just to add to that, were you not voted the one of the funniest uh, reporters in America and in, in back in 2000s. Wasn't that something I read? I'm yeah, sure that I, um, I actually won America, the funniest reporter in the country at uh, the Laugh Factory 2006. Congratulations. And, uh, they, well, they had well. different, yeah, it was fun. They had uh, different, you know, fields. Like there was a funniest lawyer contest and doctor and all this, but um, it was cool. I uh, won the LA one and then they had a New York club they had a competition there. They flew the New York woman in. I beat her. And then uh, my prize was I got like a ton of tickets that I could have friends as guests for a long time. And then I was flown to New York and I performed at their New York club. So oh, yeah, cool. it was, it was, a, it was a blast. That's great. Wow. Now, do you guys find that it's hard to turn off? the comedy sometimes like you're you're out at the supermarket <laughs> or friends or family in the backseat of the uber <laughs> yeah that's my girlfriend she'll be like yeah turn it off yeah <laughs> yeah i mean um, i'm sort of the clown at my job um you know i i work uh for social security um uh, disability kind of investigating trying to help people get their uh disability payments when they you know when they're trying to get on and um it's gonna be really dry and boring but I'm the one that I try to make people at the whole office laugh at least a couple times a day. And then having a sense of humor helps people, helps cheer them up <laughs> as they're telling some really sad, horrible things, you know. And I find a way to be appropriate and make them feel a little better as it's going. So. Yeah, no, and I, I just kind of asked that because I've found like Dennis and I are both educators. Or so Dennis is still an educator. I'm a now retired educator, but I, I'm I much older it, than me. Yeah. Uh, anyways, Mr. You receding hairline. Anyways, but I always found that being up in front of the classroom was, it felt to me like doing stand up routine. Oh, totally. Totally. Right? And year after year, you're presenting the same curriculum and year after year, you're bringing out the same jokes to make the same point. And, about year three in, you're kind of going, well, that's not as funny as it used to be. <laughs> do, you, do you guys find that happens from time to time as well? I'll tell you, I'll give you a good example. So Wednesday night, I had a show at a bar and uh, went pretty well. Um, I got lots of laughs. Um, 
I, I brought a couple people like, uh, four, four or five people. Um, and it went well, uh, cut to Saturday, uh, which the audience Wednesday was like a kind of an eclectic audience, like old, young, uh, anywhere between 60, 50, 40, 30 people in their twenties cut to, um, uh, Saturday I did a show and it was mainly people in their early twenties and some in their early thirties. And I noticed that me and the older comedians were not like killing it. And I was like, this is a, this is a tough room. And the, the girl that was working the door who worked there, she was early twenties and she went up and she just killed it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, listen to those laughs. Like, and they, they just understood her better. And, you know, I, I, I like to pride myself in thinking, you know, most of my material appeals to all ages. Uh, but sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. But Scott, what do you think it was that she was hitting on that you like, she, she more current, you obviously both of you are current, you, you know, you know what's going on, but what did she make more little inside references that maybe somebody older wouldn't have got or, you know, um, I, I, I wasn't exactly sure cause I was listening, but I was also preparing. I was up You're like preparing after your, her. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I just heard the laughter. I didn't hear all the jokes. I was in the green room. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, I think she was just, you know, I, I think her youth and her, her ability to, uh, relate to what they were living, mm-hmm. you know, at the moment. Whereas, so something a, l- a little more generational then. Yeah. yeah, it could have been, it could have been. And, and it was a good lesson for me, uh, for me, I think looking back at it, I, I probably would have dumped, dumped my act and talked to the audience more because I noticed when I was talking to them in the moment, they started to laugh a little more. But when I was doing my material, they weren't that into it. But, you know, you have those nights. It's like every comedian has those nights. You have a, you know, all this stuff you've written for years that you know it gets laughs. It's like you do a one audience, they they think you're the best guy ever. Like I've had people come up to me after the show, you were the best comedian on the on the bill. You were great. And then the next night you do the same exact material, same jokes, and no no one talks to you. They walk by you. They're like, oh my like, you can feel it. They're like, oh, that guy was not what we thought he would be. You know what I mean? So they're, they're walking by you kind of like Dennis's students walk by him on the way out of the classroom. Right? <laughs> yeah, they don't even know he's there. Yeah. Who's that guy at the front again? Okay, my students don't know that I'm there because I'm I'm out of there half the time, anyways. But that's a whole other whole other story. But do you find sometimes that it's hard to get up for the delivery as well? Do I find that it's hard to get out for the delivery? No, get, get, to, get get, to get to get up for the delivery, like to so if you've been saying this, you have yeah. the same material that you're doing, you know, show after show. Does it get stale for you or do you, do you, do you guys mix things up and. Oh, I always try to mix things up. I mean, what I try to do is, um, so you go to open mics to do new material and try it out, but a lot of times the open mics are not that great. It's always other comedians and they don't, they don't laugh at each other. And and that can be, that can be a whole different atmosphere. There's a, there's a very few good open mics where you learn, okay, that was, you learned what was good. So the best way to check out new material is to sandwich it in the very middle of your act. Because what you're doing is you open with little inside baseball guys. You're Uh supposed to act with your biggest laughs 
And you start your act with the second biggest laughs, like whatever the joke is gets your second biggest laughs you start with. And you end your set with the, the bit that gets the biggest laughs. Well, and in, in the middle is all the other stuff that works. Well, in the very middle, uh, what I do is like I'll practice a new bit and sandwich the new bit in the very middle to see if, you know, you, you want to give it to the best chance of survival. Because that's where you can really tell if it's funny at a real show with real audience members, not like an open mic with other comedians. So you're saying it's kind of like mass where we start off with the second best part, which is the liturgy of the word. Mm-hmm. And then we finish with the best part, the Eucharist. And then father just sandwiches his homily in there <laughs> in the middle to try to see <laughs> what's going to stick and what's going to work. Right. Yeah. You know, um, you've seen some priests that are funny, you know, you're like this guy oh, yeah. and then other priests that aren't. And and that's okay. I'm not I'm not saying every priest needs to be funny, but like it's amazing when you'll see a priest who who can make you laugh. You start you can you can feel it. You look around and everybody's like listening a little more and they're they're intent a little more. You, you know, they're 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 really listening a lot more than they are when the priest isn't doesn't have a sense of humor, you know? Yeah, there needs to be that charisma. 100%. Yes. There yeah. needs that 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 charisma. And what about for yourself there, Carl? Do you, do you find you're, you're always interviewing the same characters or do you? Are you talking about when, a, when you're saying interviewing, are you talking about? Uh, As the uh, world's funniest reporter. Oh, that. Right. Okay. Well, a lot of that was that I was doing this wacky, um, uh, you know, adventure type journalism, you know, or uh, like one last thing I'll mention and then I'll mention something about what I do in my interviews, but um, like I have a story where I rode shotgun in a road race through the Nevada desert for 90 miles. And it was once a year, they shut down this one highway and everybody, all these amateur want to be, uh, race car drivers. They bring their souped up, you know, uh, cars and, uh, they get to tear off as fast as they want for 90 miles through the desert. And I was assigned to do a story about it. And I was like, I'm doing it only if I can sit in the shotgun and actually you know, take the risk. And, uh, you know, and, and so it was very funny because I was freaking out scared while the, the driver was like this hard as nails, you know, Charles Bronson, Robert De Niro type going, shut up, you little baby. And so, uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, but as far as what I, what I do now, um, I, uh, one thing that I came to love, uh, cause I was an entertainment editor at a weekly paper in LA for, uh, 17 years and we had America's oldest comedy club, the ice house there. And, uh, so I interviewed probably over 500 comics over the years, like big names that would come through the club. And now, um, I freelance for the Chicago sun times and another site, uh, where I actually started my career doing the goofy stories, a site called new city in Chicago. And I write about comedians. Um, I interview comedians every couple of weeks and comics always say that I give some of the best interviews they've had because, you know, I know so much about what the mindset is or what the tricks are or whatever that I really know how to get them to talk about things. So, yeah. They're kind of having so that I'm, little bit of inside feel for it. I'm yeah. just impressed that you, you know, you're both doing well. You mentioned uh, O'Brien and, and Stephen Colbert, both Catholics, I believe. Uh, I'm sure they are. And you, yeah. but, and so you've done, you're doing stand up, you're doing well. And then you gravitate toward the parishes. And I'm thinking, the money's not as good. I mean, it must be just the love of comedy that you're you're taking it 
to the people and, and you know, you're taking it to a lot of families, a lot of people who might not go to comedy clubs otherwise. And I think that's excellent. So what got you into going into parishes and, you know, various places like that? Mind if I tell this real quick? Um, we had a, I had a friend named Father Don Wozniki who is in L.A. And I met him in Chicago way back. He transferred to do a media ministry and um, he got a parish in Hollywood uh, called, and he was like, Hey, why don't you bring a comedy show here to a social hour on Sundays? Um, after, you know, around noon after masses. And we had like 50 confused people who started off like wondering what's going on. And then laughing hard by the end of our first hour of doing it. And we had other, you know, we invited some other clean Catholic comics and it grew over three or four months to the point where the, uh, the archdiocese and newspaper wrote about us. And uh, we were getting like over a hundred people a, a Sunday to watch these shows in midday. And some of them were just from the neighborhood because the word got out. And so he <laughs> saw it as, Hey, this could be evangelistic even that people will, might get, get interested in being part of the church if they see these shows, you know? And so once the, so he decided, why don't we try a, a nighttime show, do it as a, a fundraiser. And we did that in our first show we put together an incredible lineup and uh, we had the, the Los Angeles fire department had to shut us down or not shut the show down, but stop selling tickets. Cause we were like 30 to 50 people over the limit and it was still going strong the line. And so nice. uh, it just kind of took off from there, but we owe everything to uh, father Don because he gave us a good home base and the word got out and we were doing all over LA. And that was why we were focusing on parishes um, but then the last couple of years, we've been focusing more, and especially now, we're making a big push to get into colleges, conferences. Uh, we've got a retreat coming up, things like that. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think it is a better market, you know, and uh, we're hoping to crack that pretty well. Now, in all of that, when you are going into the parishes or the Catholic schools and the, the Catholic conferences, is it difficult to find the balance between revelry and reverence? It's okay to, to laugh at ourselves. Again, it's our, our tagline here at the Pints and Pews. You know, we, we take the faith seriously, but not necessarily ourselves. Is there ever moments where you find yourself almost kind of bringing yourself to the brink, but not quite going over? Um, you know, we were in... Uh... Oh, we did a show in Ohio in April and uh, there were three priests sitting together and um, our, our headliner, Tom Clark uh, started talking to them and was making fun. And uh, you know, they loved it. You could tell they were loving it because he was talking to them and, and uh, we didn't, you know, there it's weird. Cause there, you know, there's priests sitting there, but they're not, it's not mass. It's not church. It's not time to be serious. It's time to have fun. And that's why they were there. They were there to laugh and you could tell, and they were having a great time. Hmm. Uh, Car uh, Tom Clark, he's one of our headliners that um, he does a lot of crowd work and audiences love him because he talks to them. And uh, you know, there's a lot of back and forth and uh, but uh, yeah, I don't think the reverence and the, uh, you know, the fun collide. I think the reverence is left behind. Everybody respects, uh, you know, the church and the, and the priests and all that. Uh, and they just, the comedians just want to have fun with the audience there at the time, you know, in the moment. 
uh, whenever I write uh, some new material that involves the church, because I bring in, I'm the MC, so I have to really hit it, a lot of Catholic stuff right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So people know, hey, we're really getting something Catholic. And um, I run all my jokes by Father Don to this day. Like I, like I come up with, and sometimes he does say, eh, maybe not, but, uh, but he keeps me in check and we've never had a problem with it. So where do you find the time to both do your individual stand up and yet, you know, you're talking parishes, you know, you're talking universities, colleges, conferences. Do you each throw each other their schedule and say, I'm, I'm not free this time. And then we can do some shows together. Or how does that work? Or I know you've got other people with you on, um, Catholic laughter, but, uh, how does that work out in terms of where you guys do your own thing, but yet still do these things as well together? Well, you know, it's just a matter of scheduling. Um, we just kind of check with each other, see who's free, who's not. We try to do most of our shows together. Sometimes we can't, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, Carl and I like working together. Um, yeah. and we have a lot of fun. We've known each other for God's almost 20. Since 96, years. I think. Yeah, that's over yeah, 20 25 years. plus years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You guys so, are old. See, that's longer than you and I have known each other, Dennis. <laughs> it is, yeah. Not, not to give away really anything old. about uh, our, our guests or anything, but yeah. Well, I think yeah. you guys were all born in the 70s. I, I can't quite say that, but. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a little bit okay. before that. But you were going to insinuate that you were born in the 80s there, buddy? What? No. <laughs> no, there's no way you're pulling that off, pal. <laughs> I remember when. Yeah. Just, just to give you a. Just to give you a time frame of historical time frame, I was born between the assassination of Martin Luther King and the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. How's that for oh, wow. a historical fr- framework for our American? So you're old. Yes. Was- yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Lincoln. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that was Robert's joke. You stole it right there. No, I was. I was just going to say, you know, Dennis was around for the invention of dirt, but that's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny now when you're putting your your material together for these catholic shows is there a particular ministry that you guys like to pick on more than others i know you were t- oh. saying about t- talking with the priests and i get that once when i'm doing my retreats and my talks sometimes you know like at lent i'm talking about uh uh almsgiving and then i'll say so father you know you want to take a look around the room you know how much everyone's giving kind of kind of thing we all have a, a chuckle so <laughs> is there a ministry that uh is better comedic relief than uh, than the others i love poking fun at uh confession uh because it's not it's nowhere near as, i mean of course it's a beloved sacrament and i i go often but because uh, i need to but um the uh not as uh, much as Dennis does. So I was just about to say that and he stole my joke. <laughs> Sorry, Carl, go on. No, it's okay. But um, I mean, it's it's not uh, you know, it's very hard if ever to actually make a joke about the Eucharist. I don't think we've ever done that. Um, but Thanks, uh, confession, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's more of a you know, it's a little more laid back because you're talking about you know, a person going in a dark room to, to a priest hiding who they are. And then whispering their, you know, all their, all their secrets and all that. And so I have a lot of fun with confession. I say that, uh, because I have a joke that I say where, um, that every little old lady when I was 10 years old would come up to me and say, so have you thought about being a priest? And then now that I'm over 50, I'm single. I go up to little old ladies at my church and I say, have any daughters I could possibly ask out? And they look <laughs> me up and down 
And they say, so, have you thought about being a priest? <laughs> but, ooh, ooh, that, that but one I, hurts. But I joked that I'd be terrible as a priest because I, I, I like to gossip too much. And also the uh, fact that being uh, recovered narcoleptic, the risk of sitting in a room where everybody's whispering to you in the dark, you know, I'd probably be out in yes. 10 seconds. Which would make confession a lot easier for the people on the other side if Absolutely. They, they heard Father snoring over there, right? I'm sure a few priests have dozed off in confession. You wouldn't be the first one, Carl. One of our main goals is like when this thing, when the lights go out and the show ends, it's like we want people to feel good about being Catholic, good about uh, being laughing that night, good about feeling... You know, there's some. There can be a lot of negative stuff in the press or or in real life about Catholicism. It's like we just want to celebrate being Catholic, and and we you know we we make fun of like priests and nuns sometimes, but it's not at the expense of um, they they even laugh. That's how clean the joke is. You know what I'm saying? Like they get it, they love it. But the good thing about cat, you know, Catholicism is like the mass is similar all across the country. So. Yes. If we make fun of parts of the mass, they get the joke because They're they've done that in, in New Hampshire and yeah. in California, you know. So it's it, it's we just try to be universal in our our jokes, I guess you could say. And it makes celebrating our faith that much easier because, like you say, sometimes we can feel ill at ease. And I love the idea of being able to laugh a little bit about confession because if there's anything that's in our faith that will make us feel uncomfortable. It is going in that little dark room to whisper our deep, dark secrets. And so if we can approach it with a little bit of lightheartedness, yeah. I think that will actually help people come back to the sacrament. Make it not, not so much daunting as, as may people may think it is type thing. Just don't get yeah. behind Robert in the confessional line, whatever you do, gentlemen, but that's for another <laughs> and be show. be there for forever and a day. <laughs> now, I, I don't know about you, Scott. You mentioned with your girlfriend. My wife always gives me a list before I go in, right? <laughs> <laughs> Here, here's, what you need to, here's what you need to say. And like, uh, uh, my son, and, and I love this story too, uh, with regards to confession, my son, when he was preparing for his first confession, uh, my wife and I went out for a date night and he was staying with his godmother and she was taking her godmother role very, very seriously. So she was going to prepare him for a confession. So let's, let's practice. And so she takes Michael aside and he's seven and she says, you know, when you go into confess, you, you say to the priest things that you've done wrong and says, well, like saying a bad word. And she says, yes. And he's like, so you mean like, and he drops the F-bomb. And her <laughs> eyes just apparently jumped out of their sockets. And then she asked him, so where have you heard that word before? And my wife's retelling the story. And she says, do you know where he said he heard that word before? And I am just slowly put my hand up. Kind of, <laughs> yeah, guilty. <laughs> right? But it's little things like that then that help, you know, sharing those stories help the next generation as they approach something that can seem very scary and daunting to be able to relax a little bit and know that they're not alone. Yeah. Right. And I think that's where Catholic humor comes in. We realize we're not alone uh, in feeling af afraid of the confessional. We're not alone mm -hmm. in not understanding what goes on with our faith. 
sometimes. And, and I think sometimes non-Catholics can look at us as dour and maybe serious at, you know, at times. And, and we are serious with the mass, but realize that we do have a sense of humor. We'd love to laugh. And so many cultural groups, Irish Catholic, Polish Catholics, Italian Catholics love to laugh. Not so the French Catholics. We, not the French Catholics. No. <laughs> no. It's the French yeah. Catholics. They do not, uh, like <laughs> they do not laugh. They just Everything is serious. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just drove through French Canada. There's not too many Catholics left there. <laughs> that's a, that's a whole other podcast episode yeah. in well, that. But this is a great ministry that you guys have on the go. Where would you like to point listeners to find out more about Catholic laughter uh, and where they can get to to know Carl and Scott and all the other headliners that you have? Well, they can go to catholiclaughter.com. Once again, that's catholiclaughter.com. That's our website, and uh, we have, like, video clips, and then we also have a place where they can contact us. And, you know, we'd love to bring a show uh, to you, to your neighborhood, to your Mm -hmm. parish, to your fundraiser, to your college, to your Catholic event. Um, You know, we we even do non-Catholic events, but... um, Whatever the thing is, uh, and if people would like to talk to us, they can get contact us on there. But CatholicLaughter.com is basically uh, it. You'd love, to do, watch you'd love to do a show except in Canada because you refuse to cross the border. Is that correct, gentlemen? No, I have my <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a comedian here. It's not yeah. working very well. No, it never has, never will, buddy. But um, <laughs> No, you said before the show, gentlemen, you'd love to come up. I know you're very yeah. busy in the States, but if you do ever get a chance to come up, I think we're – we're in desperate need of some Catholic comedy up here. Robert pointed that out earlier on when he was at the uh, restaurant with father the other day. So yeah. that's something that maybe down the road you might be looking at as well. Oh sure. yeah. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. game. Maybe your uh, some of your listeners in Toronto will uh, give us a call and we'll figure, figure out the details from there. Maybe my nephew yeah. who does comedy can speak to the other uh, as an MC can speak to the other MC Carl and work something out maybe in the near future. That'd be great. Yeah. And I know you have a book out, Carl. I mean, Robert has yeah. prefaced that dozed and confused. Um, do you want to speak about that? Is that, uh, um, yeah, that I'll tell you real quick. It's, yeah. Uh, it's basically, um, a collection of, uh, the funniest stories I told. So I did a lot of storytelling shows in LA as well. And I did a one man show about my, misadventures with narcolepsy because a lot of crazy things happened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's some faith aspects to it as well, because, you know, uh, there were a couple times I was saved from bad situations, um, you know, and, uh, but the thing was um, the book also is a collection of my funniest articles from all the wacky journalistic stunts I did over the years. And it's got like 30 stories in it. Uh, probably about five involves some Catholic stuff too, or and uh, a lot about my Catholic schools. And uh, you can get it on uh, Amazon.com. Just look for uh, d- just look up Dozed and Confused, and you can find the book there. It's an audio book, Kindle, and as a paperback. Excellent. And what about you, Scott? Any books? Uh, Are you like me? No, no books. I have a few. I like to read. Um, yeah, I like to read. <laughs> No, uh, I haven't written any books. Uh, me as well, and Robert's the author as well. He's got a couple of books, so me and you, uh, we're, we're working on ours, we'll just say to the listeners, I guess, right? Yeah. It'll come. I, I, I don't think I have the patience to write a book. I, I'm, I'm working on screenplays. That's that's my other... Uh, yeah. You want to t- a little, tell us a little bit about the screenplays, or can you say anything? Uh, well, I, I, I can't mention anything right now. Shit. Mm-hmm. 
secret. Uh, but if, if it gets uh, out on the pints and pews, someone else is going to pick it up. It's okay. We're in Canada. Strike two. The thorn birds. I'm writing the thorn birds part three. Okay. <laughs> didn't even know there was a sequel, did you? Okay. Well, okay. Did. Okay. Cardinal de Bricka. I, like, yeah. I like the thorn birds. <laughs> That's going back to my childhood there. <laughs> I, I spent a summer with insomnia and that's what helped. Right? Is that right? <laughs> putting, putting those videos in. So, <laughs> Gentlemen, on that note, um, it's been a blast. Thank you so very much for joining us. We'll get the, the catholiclaughter.com. Yes. CatholicLaughter.com. We'll get okay. that into the show notes for you. Another thing that we'd like to do for our guests, gentlemen, and we will get these to you in the mail sometime soon, but we have the official pints and pews ball cap. Oh, wow. There you go. Gentlemen. Right. We, oh, merch. Merch. we got merch. We got merch. We got merch. Not, not much, but we got merch, <laughs> but as typical Catholics, we break, we don't even break even on the merch. We lose money. Oh, there's a nice hat. There we cup. go. Love yeah. that cap. Okay. So I love wearing all sorts of hats and, uh, oh, great. I took this off right before the show. And I'm sure that I thought, wait a minute, I'm talking to a country that's half French. I should be wearing my beret. You should be wearing there, my beret, there yeah. we go. Dennis would wear hats too, but it would cover up like his three hair. So like, that's, <laughs> <laughs> so is it ever too late to start stand up? Cause I do retire next year. So I'm just saying, gentlemen, maybe it's, I don't, second I don't think career. it's too late. It's no. not too late, but I always recommend this when people say, Oh, I, I always wanted to do it. I say start with a class at your local comedian, whoever's teaching the class, or mm. if there's online. Um, I know uh, Solange Castro, she does one online, so you could do that. Uh, she's based in California, okay. but um, she's great. But um, I always say start uh, in a class so you, it gets you. Usually the class has like you write the jokes and then you have a showcase and you invite all your friends, and that gives you confidence and you have all the material mm. and that gets you started. Excellent. But Robert we're, will jump in and say, well, first of all, Dennis, you have to be funny. So I know that's your line there, Robert. So I'm going to... Ah, you stole my joke. <laughs> Beat me to the punchline. Guys, it's been a blast, though. Thank you so much for the both of you for coming on. I learned a lot about comedy and about clean comedy. And Thanks. hopefully you'll get up here. Gentlemen, I'm thinking 2024, yeah, 2025. Great. Please, God. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. Amen. And thank you for having us. We really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks. God bless, gentlemen. God bless you. Take care. Over oh, what a show. That was great. Oh. That was great fun. That was great fun. I can't fun. believe we got comedians on Pints and Pews. That was the one thing that we had not yet got on the show, and it was just great. Scott and Carl were so informative, funny, and something we're I think we need up here in Toronto. We're not I don't, I don't see too many. Catholic acts going on. The the best part of having Carl and Scott on, they actually laughed at our jokes. They did. I think we might have. I think we might have a shtick going on here after we're uh, after I retire. There we go. Maybe we'll have to take the pints and pews out on the road. Yeah, but you'll have to retire. I'll have to retire a second time. (laughs) time. Don't don't let that word get out. No, they're good fun, and uh, I can't believe how busy they are. I thought you just had to be sometimes maybe a little bit cruder and ruder, but it seems like. Theme but I think there's, some, there's a market out there and we yeah, were talking sure. about that with them, right. right? Like there's that market and how we both said that we really don't want to go sit with our wives or our children mm-hmm. at some of these comedy shows. Uh, and Carl was talking about too, that the, the one club in little rock, Arkansas, you know, once a month is putting out a clean show and they're packing yeah. the house. And they're packing them in. Yeah. 
right? Or they shared that, you know, they they were doing a show at the parish in Los Angeles and the fire department had to shut them down because they were over the limit. They had like 500, which is like double what they get in a normal comedy club. That's pretty amazing. If we had 500 at St. Bernadette's, they would have to shut us down too because I think the fire regulation is like four, 450. Is that what the numbers are? Yeah. Some, something like that. And that's most parish halls would be that. Yeah. So if you can yeah. start getting up to around 500, uh, yeah, you're pushing a few laws. Uh, I could see that. a comedy act in St. Bernadette's. Do you think of Toronto alone, if they just came up, they could touch upon so many parishes while they're up here? Oh, for sure. For sure. And you get a central hub like St. Bernadette's, which is mm-hmm. central to Durham region. And it's close to the main uh, highway that runs through. Um, yep. And you advertise that in other parishes. Right. Yeah, you're sold out in no time. Right. So we get Durham, we get the north, we get the west, coupled in Toronto. Mm-hmm. I, remind me to talk to the late pastoral associate when I get a chance at St. Bernadette's and bring it up to him. Oh, yeah. His budget is like through the roof. <laughs> hope Anyways, father chris isn't listening i've already my, 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 my budget is uh geared towards other things than bringing comedians in at this point but oh, yeah God, who knows so what uh, the, the future holds so buddy how was your, your uh alcohol fry beer that went back into the fridge so oh. how was your how, how was your abbey beer your your kelabia my Keller, that was absolutely, if I could get that here, that was the, one of the best beers I think I've had on this show, Robert. It was so good. So tasty. I think you would have really liked this. I'm going to say it How wrong again. The, the, the Innoslant. Innoslante. There you go. It had a nice smoky peaty flavor to it. Mm. And you know how you get those, those red beers and sometimes they're, you know, there's a caramel flavor, but right. this had a smoky peat flavor to it mm. and a real full flavor to it. And we had a red beer today at lunch, uh, and we won't mention the, the brand name, uh, oh, which had that very mild caramel flavor to it. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite mass-produced yeah. reds, mm-hmm. but this just takes it to a whole other level. You, you could you could t- you taste the peat bog in that You know beer. what? I know... Um, he joked around a little bit, Carl, on the show when he said that he has he's double fisting a Labatt and a Molson. But with all due respect to our two traditional, it's tough to go back when we're tasting so many of these European and craft breweries. It's tough to go back to the old traditionals. They got to oh, step up their game a little bit, eh? 100%. I don't know the last time I had a Molson. Mm-hmm. Labatt, that's my father in law's beer. So we'll, usually when I show up there, I have a, a Labatt. And again, yeah, it just doesn't have the same flavor. Yeah. But I have to say here, Dennis, the time has flown by and my hourglass of, how do you say it again? Inno, inno slant. Inno slante. Slante is the cheers. So my hourglass is pretty much empty. Always a pleasure, both the pint and the conversation. Especially the pint. Yes, but it's always a pleasure to talk about our Catholic faith and humor as well. Very true, very true. Now, just before we wrap things up here, Dennis, perhaps there's just one small favor we could ask of our listeners. If you could take a quick moment and a couple of clicks to follow the Pints and Pews podcast on your favorite platform and give us a review. And while you're at it, give us a like on Facebook and drop us a line there or at pintsandpews at gmail.com. We always love hearing from our listeners. Chat again soon, my friend. God willing. And until then, why don't you remind our listeners of the wise words of G.K. Chesterton. In Catholicism, the pint, the pipe, and the cross can all fit together. God bless. Take care, Robert.